the word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. May God give us wisdom and courage for interpretation. And may God give us wisdom and courage as we try to apply the truth of Scripture to our lives. Amen. We're entering into the season of Advent, and uh, I don't really care what the marketers tell us. This is not Christmas. This is Advent, and I'm not really the Advent police. I'm not going to go around correcting people who say, Merry Christmas to me. I'm not going to be like, you know, actually, <laughs> it's the holidays, the holy days leading up to Christmas. I'm not going to do that. But... I do want us to talk about this season because I think that the seasons of the church calendar really are important for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus because they kind of teach us things throughout the year and remind us of things throughout the year. And so Advent is a time of waiting. And technically, we're in the second Advent. So this passage that Sarah read is about the coming of the Messiah. And the passage that I read to you, also from the prophet Isaiah, is about what will happen when the fullness of the Messiah is seen, when the fullness of the kingdom of God is actually seen upon the earth. And we're waiting for that to happen, right? Like we recognize Jesus as Messiah, the, the Savior. But we still haven't seen the fullness of the kingdom of God yet. And so we're waiting. Advent simply means waiting. And that's what we do. But we don't wait without activity. We wait actively for things to happen. It's amazing to me, though, how like our state of mind can affect our actions. So as we're waiting, we're supposed to take action to be able to see the kingdom of God in a more full way. But sometimes... Our state of mind or our mental or our spiritual health kind of gets in the way of that. Or more likely, our spiritual or mental health is actually a tool that we can measure how well we're doing because it affects the way that we interact with people. So, for example, uh, when I'm driving, that's a pretty reliable tool for me of how my mental and uh, spiritual health is affecting the way I interact with the world around me. I'm probably the only one who can use driving as that type of measurement, judging by your reactions of just staring at me. 
But, you know, when I'm doing really good emotionally and spiritually and psychologically, I can drive down the road and see aggressive or rude drivers and not take it as a personal affront to me, per, like, like that they're actually trying to do harm to me. I can just kind of take a deep breath and be patient and calm and let them drive however they want to drive. But... When I'm not doing very well emotionally or spiritually or psychologically, it's not, that's not the case. And it's a good measure of how the world around me actually affects the way that I interact. For example, right after Michelle and I were married, we were living in an apartment on Locust Street between Missouri and University. And I worked at a church near there as well. The church was less than a block away from our little apartment that we lived in. And I love to eat breakfast. And my favorite meal to pay for in a restaurant is breakfast as well. And for some reason, we had gone to get breakfast before church. I think that's the way it happened. Either way, we were driving down Missouri going to church. And I'm in the left lane uh, heading east or west on Missouri, and there's a car in the right lane also heading west on Missouri, and they decided that they were going to switch lanes before they ever got in front of me. And so I, I, was, I was doing okay, I guess, emotionally and spiritually at that point because I just did the kind of like, hey, watch out, I'm right here horn. You know, the like, beep, beep, that, that little horn, like, hey, here I am, beep, beep, that, that little sound, and uh, they didn't hear it. Or they ignored it, is what I thought. It was a, like a personal affront to me as a human being. And they kept coming. And I had to slam on my brakes. And there was a car behind me that honked at me. And as, as they came over and just missed me, well, I really decided I was going to let them know that I was there. And so instead of the polite little beep beep horn, I did this one. Beep! You know, that one. You, nobody does that one. Just the preacher at the church. I don't do it anymore, Stuart. I've been sanctified. Because I prayed for you. Thank you for praying for me. Michelle did too. The thing was, uh, they 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 cleared us without ha without hitting me, and and I let them understand how upset I was. And when I took my hand off of the horn, it was stuck. And so it just kept honking. And we were on our way to church, nearing Locust Street where the church was, going toward the turn that we were about to make. And Michelle looks at me and she goes, Ross, what are you doing? And I said, I was just honking. And so I grabbed the horn and, and pulled it a little bit and it stopped honking. And at this point, there were kids in the back seat of that car that had turned around and were looking at me like, What's wrong? My, my dad isn't trying to kill you. or I don't know what. They were, they were scared. And so when I pulled, the horn quit honking. And then as soon as I let go, it started honking again. So now I really seemed like a crazy person. They, we're now in the turning lane, less than like 200 yards from the church. And they've got their blinker on, and I've got my blinker on. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to stand in front of the whole church at the end of the sermon and offer to pray for people. What if they're the ones? They're going to see me. And so I just grabbed the horn and pulled it off the steering wheel. And it stopped honking. Right, Michelle? She said, unfortunately, for those of you who didn't hear. So 
it was crazy. And they drove past the church. And I was thankful that they weren't going to church that morning. Or at least my church. I learned the lesson the hard way. But it's a tool that we can use. Like, you may have others, but that is a tool that I actually, in real life, can use to measure, like, how is the world around me affecting me? Because during Advent, I think more about this idea of turning swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. Things that we typically use to attack people with our mouths, the words that we write, the energy that we bring into a room. Sometimes we use all of that in an attacking sort of way, but we can also use it in a way that brings more peace to the world. And that's the job, right? That's what we're trying to do because we don't wait as though we don't have a job to do in this waiting of bringing the kingdom of God in its fullness. We wait because we have a job to do. We have things to do. That's why I think there's like real truth in the religious traditions of things like centering prayer where we just sit and center ourselves and focus on the presence of God around us. This last week I had several meetings and I confessed I don't like praying in front of you all. It doesn't feel like prayer to me because I don't typically sit and say things out loud to God. I kind of sit and listen and try to get myself into a peaceful place internally and occasionally I'll have something that I feel like I need to say to God and I might write it down or I might verbalize it or my, I might just think it. But it's definitely not what I do to start a meeting or to start a worship service or any of that. It's just really not the way I pray. And so what I talked about in these meetings was this idea that in the Hebrew Bible, what some Christians call the Old Testament, You'll see the word LORD in all capital letters, capital L-O-R-D. And when you see that, you can also say Hashem, because that means LORD. You could say Adonai, because that means LORD. But in, in Judaism, you're never supposed to say the proper name of God. And since I'm not Jewish, I'll say it, and I say it with all respect. The proper name of God is Yahweh. But they... Even, even in spelling it in the Hebrew Bible, the consonants aren't put in place. It's just the Hebrew letters, yod, he, vad, he. And when you take the, the, the vowels out to pronounce yod, he, vad, he, sounds like breathing. So every single breath you take, you're saying the name of God. Every single breath you take, you're asking for more peace. You're asking for the world to be different. And you're asking to get to be part of that change. Advent's the best time of year to do that, in my opinion. And I think sometimes it's easy for us to look at other people and see how they could do a better job at bringing peace into our worlds. But the best place to start is with ourselves. Are we the kind of people that take things in stride, who bring peace to a room, 
who spread kindness and compassion with those we meet? Are we the kind of people who get angry at every little thing like I do sometimes? Complaining constantly. The kind of people whose company others prefer to avoid. Who enter a room and the mood turns instantly tense or anxious or hostile. Are we the type of people who let grumpy, complainy people affect the way we interact with others besides the grumpy, complaining people? See, I don't think it's a small question. I think we're the ones responsible for bringing more light, more peace into the world. If our world is one where injustice and violence and oppression and suffering thrive, which it is, at this time of year, we take some time to look forward to better things and to ask ourselves how we are contributing to the better things and how we are contributing to the suffering of others. Stuart told you a story earlier about Silent Night, Holy Night, and how in World War I, that song was sung across no man's land. It's happening. It's hard to believe, but it's happening. This peace that we so long for really is happening, and it has been happening. And when we watch the news cycles, we're told it's not happening because that pays their bill, their bills. But the truth is, it's happening. It happened on that battlefield where those guys risked death, not only in trusting the other side, but fraternizing with the enemy was punishable by death. So it happened there, but if you look around, you can see it. Can you see Christian and Muslim women all dressed in white, lying on their bellies near the main highway in Monrovia, Liberia, where everyone could see them. It was embarrassing to President Charles Taylor. They protested until he finally agreed to attend peace talks in Ghana. When the talks faltered, the women came to Ghana. Can you see them? They linked arms around the government building until the talks started up again. The tragic civil war in Liberia finally came to an end. Can you see the women dancing in the streets? Because it's happening. Swords, plowshares, spears, pruning hooks. Can you see the rice paddies, green and lush, stretching as far as the eye can see in Cambodia? More than a dozen programs are ridding the country of landmines and providing survivor assistance to Cambodian people. The number of men, women, and children killed or injured each year by mines has fallen from a high of 4,320 in 1996 to less than 200 last year. Can you see the farmers working in the fields? Because it's happening. This last week, a nine-year-old girl, can you see her? sitting at her kitchen table with her dad next to her, 
writing a letter to Golden State Warrior Steph Curry. She was disappointed and hurt because she wanted to buy a pair of his shoes, but they were only in the boys' section. So she wrote him a letter, knowing he had two daughters and she wanted to wear his shoes. Can you see Steph Curry sitting in front of his locker, pen in hand, writing her a note back, apologizing, telling her that it wasn't fair that only boys got the shoes. And that he would talk to Under Armour and get the problem fixed and that she would be one of the first kids in the world to get the newest Steph Currys. It's happening. It's really happening. Swords and plowshares and spears and pruning hooks. Can you see and feel Stockholm, Sweden, the cold air breathe out and your breath freezes and falls to the ground? This winter, they're replacing their electronic advertisements around the town with digital notices that will direct homeless people to the nearest shelter or heating room. It's happening. People are setting themselves free from some of the advertising and using it for good. Swords, plowshares, spears, pruning hooks. There were a group of nurses in Missouri who pooled their money together to buy lottery numbers when it was like a billion dollars or whatever a few weeks ago. And they won. They didn't win the jackpot, but they won a lot of money. They pooled their money together, divided it in two, and gave it to two of their co-workers who were deeply struggling to make ends meet. It's happening. Swords, plowshares, spears, pruning hooks. It's real. The nations are doing this thing. It's our job to keep it going. Let there be peace on earth. May we beat our swords into plowshares and our spears into pruning hooks. And may we do it in the name of the Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. Amen.